0: Hey everyone, it's Mel here again with another episode of The Weekly Watch. I know it's been so many years, well actually it's only been five weeks, but five weeks, holy hell, a lot of stuff has happened in the last five weeks. I'm so sorry that I haven't put up a new um, podcast talking about films because I'm sure that you missed me like nothing else. Um, so I'm just going to do a bit of um, like a quick rundown of, of m- most of the films are trying to go, go through as many of them as i can that i've watched over the last few weeks um just quickly like scratching the surface basically i'm not going to go in depth um, and i have three films that i'm going to be talking a bit more in depth about which is guardians of the galaxy volume 2 unlocked and the new king arthur film by guy ritchie so but first let me talk about Fate of the Furious, number eight in the Fast of the Furious franchise. Now I watched that pretty much the same day that my laptop decided to like go up in flames. It didn't actually go up in flames, but you know, it's toast and I still haven't managed to repair it yet. So I don't know. It might be dead. Uh, DNR. I'm trying to resuscitate it no matter what what it likes. Um, Resuscitate? Revive? DNR? Can't remember. Let's go with it. Fight of the Furious. So that, like I said, is the eighth film in the Fast of the Furious franchise. I really like Fast and the Furious, especially since um, number five. I think a lot of fans are saying five, six and seven are their favorites because they're just great and bonkers and they're all about family more than anything. And I really, that, that is something that I really like about the films. And I think that's one of the reasons why I became such a big fan of those films, um, because family values. Or, or, or what you do for your friends and how your friends are, are your family and what you do for your family. Um, that really resonates to me. I'm, I'm someone who's very loyal to, to my friends um, and I find friendship really important. So these films definitely, they, they, they're like on point for me in regards of their values. And then of course they have crazy-ass action as well, which I love. So this one, just like all the other films, basically it doesn't really have a story. Um, everyone from the gang is like all over the globe. Uh, Dom is hanging out with, um, oh, let, let's just say Vin Diesel's hanging out with Michelle Rodriguez somewhere in Cuba. And then he comes across a really hot looking chick um, who's Charlize Theron. And as soon as I saw her, I was like, I want to be on her gang. She looks awesome. They give her dreads. She looks fucking wicked. And uh, she has car trouble. And of course, Dom is like, oh, let me help you lady. And she of course knows everything about cars. Um, and she's tricking him into basically joining her organization. I'm saying basically a lot again. Ah, fuck it. Um, so Dom kind of starts working for Charlie's. Uh, he's not really given his notice to his family and friends. He just basically fucks him over while they were trying to do something. And he smashes into the rock. And you've seen that in the trailer. He careens off and is like, oh, Dom, what's going on with Dom? So Dom starts working for Charlie's Theron. And uh, I can't blame him because I would too. Um, not just because she's not but, she, you know, she's a villain. She's a hacker in this film. She's just fucking awesome. Unfortunately, she doesn't really get a lot to do, which is a bit of a letdown, because you've got a lady like Charlie Theron in your film and you don't give her a lot to do. What the fuck is wrong with you? I still like the film. Um, obviously, not just because of, of Charlie's, but she was a huge, huge reason why I went to see this. Um, not just because I like Fast and Furious, but overall, story not really that big. There, there is something that happens later on in, in the film um, where people come back that you didn't expect to come back and there's like this whole family dynamic really going down there and it was awesome and stuff that happens there and how how dark Charlize gets, the shit that she does and I'm like oh my god this woman's seriously point of no return is way 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 past. Um, there's a lot of really great action. The unlikeliest of heroes have to come together. Some bits that don't really make sense if you're a fan of the franchise. I mean, they bring Jason Statham back. Yay, Statham! Um, I like him, even though, of course, he played an asshole. He killed Han. And for whatever reason, no one seems to be holding much of a grudge regarding that. And it's like, what the fuck? But it's, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, right, right, right. It was a Fast and Furious film. I forgot to leave my brain at the entrance. Because if I had, that probably wouldn't have bothered me. Or maybe it still would have bothered me. I'm not sure. Anyway, Stasem is part of part of the gang now. He's um, he's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed his character. Him and The Rock, like if you've seen the trailer, you know, they're really like bam bam, you know, fists. Um, they end up in prison together. They basically want to beat the shit out of each other. And then they kind of end up working together. I'm not going to give away why. Um, not that that's really hard to say. But you have a lot of great characters in that, a lot of fun, majorly. Of course you have Vin Diesel's Dom, he is kind of the hero of the films, right? But The Rock is not far behind and now Statham as well. Those three basically make up the entire film and they're all versus Charlie Theron, which was kind of cool. Um, Letty and everyone, like Michelle Rodriguez and, and everyone else, it's really on the back burner which is a bit annoying. Oh, I think the ice cream man is out there. In case you can't hear that, the music just started going. Um, it's summer in London town, sort of. It's, it's awesome. It's like a whole new London town. Um, back to Fast and Furious. So you, you get some really crazy ass action, but it's not as crazy as I think we are now used to, you know, in the, in seven, when, when they went to Dubai and they had this like ginormous, awesome car, but I have no idea what it was. It was an awesome looking sports car and they went from one tower to the next to the next and it was insane. It was awesome. They jumped out of planes with cars and parachutes and it's like, how are you going to top that? My point of view, they didn't really manage to top it in this, Um, in in Fate of the Furies. Um, I think they they could have topped it if they went to space, maybe in number 9, I have no idea. Um, This time, if you've seen the trailer, you know that someone brings out a submarine. Because it was in the trailer, it was a bit anticlimactic because everyone knew it was going to happen. Otherwise, everyone would have gone like, whoa, that was awesome. But everyone's seen it 50 million times before, which was a bit of a letdown, unfortunately. But you have really good banter between uh, Jason Statham and The Rock. I really like those two working together. Uh, They make a really unlikely duo. I would love to see more of them and there's this whole rumor going around that maybe they will have like their own spin-off series or something. I have no idea. Um, It was a bit weird to see Vin Diesel playing sort of playing the antagonist um, against his own team but it makes sense why he did it and of course he comes back to the light side. That's not really a spoiler, come on. If you didn't see that happening, seriously, have you not been paying attention? Um, overall, it was, I don't really want to say it was a bit of a letdown. It's not as good as five, six or seven because they were fucking spectacular. Um, and because eight obviously comes after seven, uh, it's got big shoes to fill And Unfortunately, I think it doesn't really succeed in doing that. Um, even having Helen Mirren show up, in, in a few scenes, I think maybe two scenes. Th- the bit that she gets to do is kind of awesome and it's kind of awesome because she's Helen Mirren and she's in a Fast and Furious film, which is fucking wicked. Um, and you have Oscar winner Charlie Theron in there and those two by themselves, just seeing them do what they are doing was kind of, was kind of cool. Um, there's some really cool sequences in there. There is a uh, sort of like Google Cars go, go AWOL sequence later on where you have cars without drivers in them they're being hijacked because Charlie Theron plays a hacker her team is a team of hackers so they're hacking into the electronics of these cars and then all of a sudden you basically have Google cars with no drivers driving through was it New York I can't remember driving through a a metropolis and just crashing like crazy they're trying to stop Dom and the family or, or the family because I think Dom's still on the antagonist side by that point, but th- there's like cars flying out of—I want to say—windows. Um, you know, ginormous parking structures. They're like kamikaze dashing down into the street, and it's—it's—and it's like in World War Z when all these zombies just start running towards the the protagonists. You know, like like ants, like an army of ants, and that's kind of what you have with the cars as well. It just comes zooming around. Um, around bends and stuff, and all of a sudden, it was like, where are these hundreds and hundreds of cars are coming from? It's it's the one of the coolest sequences I've seen in a long time, and that by itself was was a highlight. But the entire film as as a whole was not as good, unfortunately. It was still very entertaining, but it was not as as crazy as. I have gotten used to seeing the Fast and the Furious and one of the biggest letdowns I think was, I mean Kurt Russell comes back and he's bringing back the gang because everyone has to go after Dom and stuff like that. But you have, um, I wanted to say Clint Eastwood, that's not right. Scott Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's son is in this film and I'm really sorry to say but he's the most bland actor I've ever seen. Um, I'm not sure if I've seen him in anything else before. He looks like his dad. He's a really good-looking guy, and like he does, like what's he does? He, he does Davidoff commercials or whatever, um, and he drives. Is it like an Audi or a BMW or a Mercedes? He drives some kind of car in in some kind of a commercial, um, but he he's just really bland. An actor. He's not. He doesn't have a big personality in this film, he's really fucking boring. And every time he shows up, I'm like, ugh. And all the other characters go, nah. So maybe that was supposed to be the point, but I found him really bland and boring. And I really wanted to cut him out of the entire film. What I loved about it was there's some good action happening because it is a Fast and Furious film, but it's not great action as we are used to, to have come to expect. Um, I love Charlize Theron in it and Helen Mirren. They didn't get a lot to do, which was quite a letdown, especially with Charlize. Um, If you've seen the Atomic Blonde trailer, and if you haven't, stop this right now. Google Atomic Blonde trailer and then come back here. This is a new film Charlize is in. I think think it's coming out sometime this year. And she is like a kick-ass assassin in there and this woman can kick some serious ass if you've even if you haven't seen the trailer if you've seen her in Ian Flux she's flexible she really can learn choreography I think she learned like she she was a ballet dancer when she was a kid or whatever she did ballet she really knows what she's doing she can kick some mere, serious ass and they don't give her anything to do in the Fast and Furious there's so much so much action so much fighting like fist fighting street fighting and stuff not just car racing they could have made her like an amazing car racer or like not necessarily a martial artist, but you know, someone that can hold her own. But all they let her do was being really me- mega smart, mega hot, and wicked at hacking, and that's it. I still enjoyed it, but she could have been so much more, and that was a bit of a letdown as well. Overall, I did enjoy Fast and the Furious, sorry, Fate of the Furies. I think that's what it's called. Um, So go and see that. It's still in cinemas. I know it's obviously four weeks late, but go and see that. It was a lot of fun. If you like uh, the Fast and Furious franchise, I think you'll like this one. Um, Especially if you like it, not just for the action, but for like the the family stuff. It's like family above everything else. Because some of the stuff that happens later there, and I don't want to spoil it, um, I didn't see that coming and I love that because I can't remember the last time that a Fast and Furious film managed to surprise me with something. So that was really cool. And then what happens after, and I'm like, whoa, awesome shit. And there's a really cool sequence near the end of the film with Jason Statham in an airplane and something else. And I can't give away what that something else is, because that'd be a huge spoiler. So it's it's really worth it. But just forget about anything that happened previously. Forget that Jason Statham is responsible for killing Han, and then you'll be fine. It's not as great as 567, but still really good. Um, another film I went to see was Going In Style. You might not have heard of it. It's, it's a really small film. It's about three elderly chaps, uh, pensioners, who are trying to rob a bank because the banks are sort of responsible for them losing their pension. And um, it stars Alan Arkin, Morgan Freeman, and uh, Michael Caine and just because of those three that is basically why i went to go and see it and it was worth it it was really funny i mean it's nothing new you know you've seen shit like this before it's it's a bit like over the top and 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 really extreme and crazy but it was really fun especially if you like any of these three actors and i love michael Caine. i love um alan arkin those two were fantastic and obviously morgan freeman he's great in everything that he does but he's not a draw for me to go to the cinema whereas Michael Caine and Alan Arkin definitely are so if, if you want to see like a, a fun little cute little comedy with three pensioners um, helming it I think you're gonna have a lot of fun with that so that was uh, called going in style all right the next thing that we went to see we as in me and all my other personalities was the Belco experiment um, you might have heard of it, it's, it's a smaller project but it's written and produced by James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy which is why I think it's gotten quite a bit of um, well quite a bit of press and, and marketing and, and people actually go out and see it um, and it was really it was really good, really entertaining it didn't wow me in any way shape or form but it was solid entertainment from start to finish. What it basically is um, if you've ever seen Battle Royale, that Japanese film, that's what it is. Battle Royale in a close-off office building where everyone is trapped inside, and it, it, it's like an experiment is happening. It's like you need to kill ten of your coworkers in the next thirty minutes, or we're gonna kill twenty of you. And it's really interesting. Of like, I don't, I don't really want to give too much away. It's like what, what happens near the end, who survives, who decides how they go about doing things you know certain people turn more into the villain spectrum and other people turn more into the hero spectrum and other people are smack in the middle and then all kinds of shenanigans ensue and it, it was really entertaining it was really gruesome uh, so obviously because it is like battle royale there's a lot of people that die in really gruesome ways and um, if you can't stomach that that's not a film for you I wouldn't really necessarily call it entertaining and it was more It's almost like watching the Stanford experiment unfold or something. It's like putting people in a confined space, put certain rules out that makes them have to fight for survival, and then see how they react to it and how they go along with it, or whether they go along with it. And it it was really interesting to see different approaches to it. There, There was one young lady in there, for example, She, for the most part, she just hid away from everyone else. She didn't want anything to do with anyone else. She just hid somewhere far away from everyone else. And that was her idea of survival. And that was a really good idea. Now, whether she's the last person standing, you will have to go and watch the Balco experiment to find out. Um, It was really good. It's not as cool as Battle Royale. Also because Battle Royale basically pitched um, teenagers against each other. Um, just like the Hunger Games. But Belko Experiment is more about office workers of all kinds of different ages. So you have people who are 20, you have people who are like 60, and anything in between. Uh, The dude who plays the president on scandal is in there as well. Um, So overall I thought it was, was quite fun, but not something I would really go out of my way to go and see at the cinema, to be quite honest. So if that's still playing where you are, go and check it out if there's nothing else to watch. Now the next on my list It's actually a film that was a bit of a surprise for me um, because I had to review it for an outlet and it's called Whiskey Galore. It's a film I never heard of before. I didn't know what it was about and it really surprised me in how entertaining it was. Um, I think it came out like two weeks ago. It's actually a remake of a film from... is it from 49? It's a really, really old film. Um, I wrote it in, in a review and I can't remember I think it was from 49 and that was also called whiskey galore so basically the, the premise is I really have to stop saying basically The the premise is that um, we're in a World War II, and um, It's I think yeah, it's like 44 or something like that and uh, the world war is happening and the only way that a very out-of-the-way Scottish Island Is affected by the war is that all of a sudden all their whiskey is gone they haven't had a resupply of whiskey they're they're dry as an island can be in regards to whiskey Um, and everyone's just like what the hell are we doing now there's no more whiskey what the fuck like literally the entire island I have no idea how many people live there but it's really tiny so out of the way no one really goes there no one really knows anyone is it like everyone Knows everyone in this tiny village, like 500 people or something. It's really, really weird. Um, Everything comes to a standstill because all of a sudden there's no more whiskey. Even the kids go like, not that the kids are drinking, but even the kids go like, oh, everyone's depressed and horrible. And then you have um, Eddie, is a plays a captain of the home guard, who is basically someone who, for whatever reason, I assume didn't make it into the army or whatever. but he wanted to be, he, he he struck me as someone, you know, like a security guard or a mall cop who wants to be a police officer, but keeps failing the exam. And this is as far as they go. So he kind of is the army outlet, so to speak, on that little island. And he has like a few people that are volunteers that help him out. Should that little island ever get invaded by the by the Nazis? And then you have uh, an islander who comes home from the front. He's an actual soldier. He's actually been in war. He's actually seen action Um, and he comes home. I'm not, I actually don't remember why, is he just there for like a few weeks or whatever? And he's supposed to get married to one of the girls in the village. And it's like, oh, we can't really have a marriage because there's no whiskey. You can't marry anyone without whiskey. There needs to be whiskey. Like basically they need whiskey for everything. They wouldn't go to the toilet without having a glass of whiskey first. That's sort of what it is. And everything is like, oh my God, how is life going to go on? You know, it's, everything's horrible. There's no more whiskey. It's like Jack Sparrow going like, why is the rum always gone, that, that kind of a thing. And then, lo and behold, not too much surprise for anyone, there is um, like a ship um, runs ashore at that island, and of course, it turns out that that ship was um, was sending was bringing shipments of whiskey to America, and on the way to America, it ran ashore at this really isolated Scottish island. So everyone's like, oh, my God, there's whiskey on there. So everyone just scrambles and tries to get the whiskey off that ship. And of course, um, Eddie is Captain Ragged. I think it was he's like, you can't have that whiskey because that that is like not your. that would be theft. That is so not cool. So he's the antagonist of the islanders trying to keep them from getting to the whiskey and everyone else is like, no, we have to get the whiskey, even even the soldier who came home he gets roped into that because obviously he can't get married to his uh, childhood sweetheart without whiskey. So he's like, yeah, we need the whiskey. Um, So everyone's like going out It's like, yeah, but we can't actually grab the whiskey because today's the Sabbath. You're not even allowed to like drive anywhere, let alone do anything else. So everyone's like, Oh my God. So everything that could happen to prevent them to get the whiskey happens. Um, and then, near the end, you, you have this whole, like, they grab the whiskey and everyone's like, yay! And Wagate goes like, I'm not sure, I think they got the whiskey. And he gets other people from the, from the mainland to come in to investigate this potential theft. And then there's like this whole cat and mouse play. And it's just really crazy and all the characters on the island are so peculiar and weird and crazy. And this, you're, you're trying to have a, keep a secret from Captain Wagate. Or Captain Wagon is trying to do other things and everything goes through the telephone switchboard on the island and there's only one lady working at that switchboard and of course she listens into every single phone call so there's no such thing as secrecy and it's just everything is just really hilarious and, and the dialogue's hilarious the characters are hilarious the performances are really well done and it's just so over the top and it's really predictable and as to what is going to happen but that kind of adds to the fun of it because you're like, oh my god, I knew that was gonna happen, and they're actually doing it, and it's just so much fun to see all of this unfold. Um, I'm not sure you don't have to go and see to uh, go and see it at the cinema, I think, but. I was really pleasantly surprised when I went to see this. Like I said, I had no idea what this was about or you know what even what kind of genre the film is. It's like whiskey galore, what the fuck, right? Do I need to be into whiskey to appreciate that? And actually no, you don't have to be, because I really don't give a shit about whiskey. But that film was hilarious. Um, and Eddie Izzard he, he's, I think, the only person I really knew from the film. Um, he does a very understated, um, subdued performance. I find him usually, I, I like him being really extreme and over the top most of the time. But here he's not. And um, I, I loved him. He was basically the antagonist to everyone else on the island. And it works. And there's a lot of, like the film lives of its little details. That's what's so much fun about it. Certain dialogue options. Everyone speaks with a really harsh, uh, really um, heavy Scottish accent. So like the first five minutes I needed to acclimate myself to what is this? It's like you go and see Billy Elliot, the musical, and it's like, I have no idea what anyone is saying. Oh, now I get it. You know, that kind of thing. Because I'm not not a native speaker. Um, But it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I I recommend it. If if you just want to have like an easy peasy afternoon at the cinema, just go with some mates and then just have some, it's, it's not a laugh fest, but it's a chuckle fest. Like I was chuckling like every, every scene, every few minutes. I was like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh my God, that's hilarious. It's not like a laugh out loud kind of a thing, but overall I was really, really, really surprised. I really enjoyed it. And I think, um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You can go and see that. And I think it's more fun even than going in style just thinking of, like, comedies that I've been talking about. Um, And now we're going to go as far away from comedy as we possibly can. We're going to um, The Zookeeper's Wife, which is the new film with Jessica Chastain. Actually, saying new film is a bit weird, because next week, Miss Sloane comes out, which is also starring Jessica Chastain. But Miss Sloane was released way earlier than The Zookeeper's Wife. So in the UK, everything is a bit weird. Suekeeper's Wife is... it boils down to being the Polish version of Schindler's List. You know, you know what Schindler's List is about, right? It was Schindler, a German guy, who was um, saving like loads and loads of Jews through his work, right? And um, Jessica Chastain plays the wife of the owner of... The Warsaw Zoo and Warsaw obviously being the capital of Poland and Poland was the first country that was invaded by the Nazis right so just in case you didn't know that there's a bit of history lesson that's how the First World War started and all kinds of horrible things happen to the animals there's a lot of bombings and there's a lot of dead animals and then the Nazis come in and take over Poland and they take the remaining animals to slaughter them for food and basically the zoo is empty once the Nazis arrive and after a while her husband comes up with the idea because he sees the Jewish ghetto that has been established once Nazis move in and he sees the like what happens there and that like horrible shit happens in there Um, and he's like we gotta do something about it we have all these tunnels underneath the zoo I'm sure we can do like a an underground railroad thing and just keep them here in the house until we can funnel them out somewhere else and bring them to safety so they basically are doing what Schindler did trying to get some juice in and then sort them out through like back doors and stuff and that is what the film is about and it was i had never heard of this before and um i thought it was fantastic it's, it's obviously a really tough to watch film because of everything that happens in there um even though i have to admit disclaimer While I was watching this, and and there's a scene in there, obviously everyone knows when Jewish people are being put on trains, where these trains go, right? I mean, seriously, if you don't know what that means, you need to read up on the second world war and the Holocaust. Um, I mean, obviously I'm German, we grew up with this stuff. We have to learn that in school. Um, There's a scene in the film where children and, and others are put on trains. And you, 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 no one mentions that they're going to Auschwitz or some other camp where they're being exterminated, but you know where they're going because everyone knows what this means. And if you don't, you need to learn what it means. Um, and so it's a really heavy and gut-wrenching scene. And I had two people in front of me, in a row in front of me, checking their Facebook several times throughout the film. Also, when little children were being hauled onto trains to Auschwitz. They were checking their Facebooks and talking about Facebook status updates. And I really wanted to kill these two. Seriously, what the fuck is wrong with people? If you don't like the film, get the fuck out. That is so fucking disrespectful. And I just had to get that out of my system. I think I even posted about it. In case you follow me on Twitter, you've already heard the story. Um, but, other than those two fuckwits in front of me, who should never be allowed into a cinema ever again, this film was, was really heavy and, um, obviously, just like Schindler's List is really heavy, but it was also really beautiful and it was all about trying to help your fellow man. It doesn't matter, you know, wh- 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 what God you believe in or if you believe in God or what color of skin you have or where you come from or no one gives a shit. You know, they they were just helping each other. And at first they were just helping their friends and then they were also helping like um, strangers. And it was really, really powerful. And they had, they literally had families living in these catacombs at the zoo. And um, when the Nazis eventually find out what's been going on and they storm like the catacombs, you see all these drawings that children and grown-ups were doing because they basically had to be really quiet during the day. So they would sleep during the day when the Nazis were around the zoo and once the Nazis left um, Jessica Chastain's character would play the piano and everyone would know it was safe to come out and that's when they would come out and that's when they would interact with each other, when they would interact with their hosts, when they would have food and, and stuff. And it was really, really nice to, to see that, how they did that. They basically created a home for them and then they funneled them out with like um, fake identities and, and stuff like that. It was really great and I love the film. Because it is a story I didn't know about. I had never even heard of that. And Jessica Chastain, obviously, she's a great actress. She does this really, really well. It's her and Daniel Brühl, who's a uh, German actor. Um, I think he was in... Was he in Civil War? I think he played the villain in Civil War. Um... He's really good. He played like the head honcho Nazi um, at the Warsaw Sioux and he kind of had like this special relationship with Jessica Chastain's character and she was playing him the entire time and it was really, really good. I, I really enjoyed it and I love that. Of course, anything that's historical at the end you get these cue cards that give you like additional information and stuff like that. It was a very, very informative um film. The performances were good. It looked really beautiful. It was really beautiful to see the animals and how she interacted with the animals at first and how war changes everything. Um, Even uh, Daniel Puhl, he was a zoologist as well from Berlin and they met before the war and then he came back as a Nazi. So at first it looked like he really wanted to help and then later on obviously he he was just after his own gain. Um, But it was really nice to see that and a different perspective and a different um, uh, story to tell within the Second World War. And for that, I really applauded it. And like I said, I mean, I, I love Jessica Chastain, and will watch anything that she's in. That's why I went to go and see it. Um, other than that, I'm not sure if I would have gone out of my way to go and see this, but it was a really good film, it was very well done. Uh, the, the cinematography and everything, the the, the music as well, It was very, very powerful and haunting. And on that bit of a downer of a film, uh, let's go to uh, the more fun and entertainment. Now we're going back to the, we're going to the top three this week I'm talking about. And that is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Unlocked and King Arthur. Now, first I want to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, bit of a disclaimer i've seen this film three times already and i know that's insane but it kind of like really fit Like yesterday i went to the cinema and i wanted to see unlocked and king arthur we had cinema had the unlimited screening i was like oh what's going to fit with the unlimited screening oh guardians of the galaxy fits with it so i watched it a a third time i have to admit i am guardians of the galaxy the first one is my all-time favorite marvel film a long shot. I love this film. I absolutely fucking love this film. Everything about it. And I was really excited for the second one. And I went to see the second one when it came out, um, I think like two weeks ago. And I was a bit disappointed, to be quite honest. Um, but only because I had very high expectations. Like I said, the first one's my absolute favorite Marvel film. Everyone was raving about how great the film was. So I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be awesome. I watched it and I was like, yeah, that was nice. wasn't great, but it was nice. And because I had this um, reaction to it, I was like, okay, I have to see this the second time. I think maybe my expectations were just too high. And they were. I enjoyed it a lot more the, the second time around. And I enjoyed it a lot more the third time around. It is a film you can watch over and over and over again. And that is a good sign, I think. What really annoyed me at first was... Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, they didn't really know how people are going to react to it. And obviously everyone reacted really well to it. And everything that we loved about the first one, they took, put it in, into a grinder and put it to like 500 or 1000% and then chucked it into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's why everything that we loved in the first one has been amped up to the extreme in such a way that it, it really annoyed me. When I watched it for the first time, it was too fucking much. It's like it, it just the way it started. Um, I mean, obviously, we we start um, back on Earth. We show a young Kurt Russell getting together with um, Star Lord's uh, mum and setting up the seed. Yeah, I said that setting up the seed for what happens later in the film. And then we go back to Guardians of the Galaxy the way it is now, like BAM! 34 years later. Poof, and they're basically you're in the scene that you've seen in the trailer with like this giant squiddy monster showing up and they're trying to defeat it. Um, but the way that it's done, is the, the way that credits un- unfold, is you have Baby Groot basically plugging in the music and then starts dancing to the music. I was like, really? You had to do this? Because we all thought it was so cute to see Baby Groot in the the pot plant dancing at the end of Guardians 1? It felt... It felt forced and it felt down your throat kind of a thing. It really rubbed me the wrong way. Especially because the entire sequence was just Baby Groot dancing while you saw the ginormous fight against the space squid Um, unfold in the background blurred and actually now I think that's a really cool choice to have this ginormous action set piece but most of it is blurred out because you are focusing on this tiny little Groot baby right so I was like that's really cool and the way that everyone interacts with him like everyone falls near him goes like what are you doing like everyone's taking care of baby Groot that's basically what um, the film is about it's like fast and furious in space Uh, guardians and the family, everyone's taking care of baby Groot because he has no memory of his previous life. He is a baby, um, so he needs to be taken care of. Like, why did why they brought him to a space battle? Fuck knows why. But Gamora's like, "How are you doing, Groot? You need to get out of here. You need to be careful. You're gonna get stepped on. You're gonna get hurt." And he just waves at her, and she waves back, and then starts firing at the at the monster again. And then he chases a little bug and he eats it because babies eat everything that they see right and rocket shows up and goes like spit it out spit it out that's disgusting and he speeds off again (laughs) to shoot the space monster Um, and at first yeah it did rub me the wrong way but now i actually think it's really a cute idea Um, it is the second one is more fan service than the first one is obviously the first one couldn't really be fan service because i I'm not sure, like, how can it be fan services? no one's ever seen a film about these characters, right? So, um, they defeat the squid and then um, the weird golden people show up. And they also, I was like, what the fuck is up with these golden people? I know apparently they exist in a comic universe, but I don't give a shit. They were, like, so weird. Um, And the entire time I was like, the, the queen of them, can't remember her name. I was like, I know this woman, I didn't know who it was until I IMDb'd her later. And it's the lady from The Night Manager and I didn't write down her name because I'm an idiot. Um, But she's fantastic and I loved her. But these gold people, they basically, none of them actually go into a spaceship. So rockets steal some batteries from them, they get really, really pissy with them. So they have the entire fleet, the entire flotilla of the golden people after them once they've left and then all kinds of shit ensues. But it's like a video game. They're all sitting in their little pods shooting like looking at the screen and then like like drone pilots nowadays in the US. That's what it's like. And it's just really, really fucking weird. And it feels like a video game and I'm like, What the fuck is this? It's so weird. Um, I didn't really like the the golden people. I they rubbed in the wrong way as well. And then like they one of the cool things is you see Star-Lord like flying through um, like a quantum meteor field and I thought that was such a really asteroid field sorry and that was such a cool idea you know quantum going like it's here in the stairs and him and Rocket are fighting over who's the better pilot and basically end up crashing the fucking ship and that's how they come across Star-Lord's dad Kurt Russell and all of that is also a bit weird um, but everything is just so over the top and so much fun and um, we we obviously see um, that the Guardians, everyone except for Star-Lord, is cybernetically or, or, or genetically enhanced and more powerful than a normal human being. Like Drax is basically smashing into a forest and a half while they're crash landing and once they landed, he's like, oh my god, that was awesome! Yes! Awesome! Yes! And he doesn't have the tiniest bruise and Gamora was holding on to him um, with something. And he was, like I said, smashing into a force and a half. And that should have, like, not just dislocated her shoulder, but ripped her entire arm out. But she's perfectly fine because she is also genetically enhanced. And everyone's like, yeah, no biggie, no biggie. So it's only Star Lord who's just like a puny little human, right? Um, turns out he's not because Kurt Russell, who is Ego, the living planet, is his dad. And there are great jokes where Drax is like, well, you're a your planet. Do you have a penis? How, how, how did you how did you make love to, to Peter's mum? if you're a planet, He would smush you, like you would smush her and blah blah blah. And it's just some of the dialogue is absolutely ridiculous and over the top and a lot of fun. The performances are fun. Um, Yondu's coming back as well and Cracklin, Sean Gunn, who is uh, James Gunn's brother some of his deliveries are just so awesome I love his face I like his line delivery his entire performance and what happens to everyone and the entire film I don't really want to go too much into spoilers because I think you should just go and see it because it's fucking fantastic Um, it's all about characters and it's all about family and not just because everyone has to take care of baby Groot but it's I mean there's even something in, in the trailer where Nebula says something along the lines of you, you're not friends. You're always fighting and screaming and yelling at each other and then Drax goes Yeah, it's because we're family. We're not friends. We're family. And that's it. That's why it reminded me of Fast and Furious These are not my friends. These are my family and I really like that and Nebula comes back and she has a bit of a thing with Gamora because obviously Nebula is pissy with Gamora and and the stuff between them is fucking fantastic and actually the 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 bit that is the least interesting is the stuff between peter and his dad that's more like oh, i, I want to see um the sisters again or oh, like gamora and nebula they're everything with them is fucking fantastic i loved it like the issues they have and and how they get along with each other or not get along with each other everything makes sense and and it's so beautiful like everyone has their moment it has their history and and has a development character development and Mantis is a new character that comes in even she she doesn't really have a lot of scenes but we find out a lot about her and She's quite endearing in that we find out who she is and where she comes from as well And what's been happening to her and then Yondu and the Ravagers come back Which is also why crackling comes back and they have act they play actually a um, I'm not sure if they play a bigger role, it felt like they they played a bigger role, but they bring a lot of it, a lot to it as well. And there's something happening later in the film. And it's just really fucking powerful, I really, really loved it. Um, I needed to see it twice to really appreciate it, because at first I was like, it's a really good film, I really enjoyed it, and, and I cried. There's something near the end um, where I I can't help but cry two or three times, there are two or three scenes near the end where I just... I've, like I said, I've seen it three times. I cry at these three scenes every single time. No matter how hard I try not to, I fucking, like, I'm bawling my eyes out. There's just, like, I can't help it. I'm not gonna tell you what's gonna happen. Um, But there's a lot of stuff in these films, like, you can't even really, well, you could spoil it, but I'm not gonna spoil it for you. Um, There's a lot of great character moments. This is more about, like, the story of the film is basically bullshit. It's really bullshit. They they go to the sovereigns, which are the golden people, because they they somehow got Nebula, and Gamora wants Nebula because there's a huge bounty on Nebula's head, and that's what they want. They're like the Guardians are after money. So the Empress or whatever of, of the sovereign tells the Guardians if you if you get rid of the space squid. Then you can have Nebula. So they get rid of Space Squid. Space squid they get Nebula. Then Rocket is an idiot and, and steals shit from the Golden People. They don't like it. They crash land. Um, that's why they crash on a on a planet somewhere. I think it's called Burhard which I thought was really funny. Um, it sounds like Herbert, but Burhard I was like Herbert the planet. Um, and that's how they meet. Uh, Peter's dad. And that's how they go off to Ego and his planet and they learn more about this. Um, they go separate ways and then the Ravagers come in because the Sovereign Lady didn't get the the Guardians back for, for, for stealing what they were stealing. So she contacts Yondu and his Ravagers. So they are now after them. So that's how everyone comes together. And then Everyone's just like coming together and there's this huge showdown and kablooey. That's basically the entire fucking story. Peter meets his dad. The Ravagers are after the Guardians. Um, but Yondu kind of goes like, we can't really put the Guardians... Like, we can't really put them down because they're the Guardians of the fucking galaxy. And then he has a bit of um, uh, mutiny on his hand. And that happens and that's pretty much the entire story. There's a ginormous showdown at the end. Maybe not everyone makes it out alive. And that's the story. So it's not really much of a story. It's actually, this is a bullshit story. Nothing really fucking happens. You know, someone steals something, makes other people mad, who gets some other people involved. Peter meets his dad and then everything, it has a final showdown, which is fucking fantastic. Special effects are cool. The the characters are great. They all have um, development that makes them even more interesting. All of them do. Like not just Peter, but all of them, and it was really fantastic the way it's done. The the script I think is really well written. Like the dialogue is really well written. The the characters really come into their own because we've we've met them on the previous film, and now we delve deeper with everyone, um, like the good ones and the bad ones. And I really thought that was fantastic. It was really entertaining. Um, let's not forget, if in doubt, just chuck in some more Baby Groot, and he's fucking adorable. Um. But I really love this film. It's more about the dynamics between characters that are dyna- like the relationships that everyone has with each other, and how dysfunctional they are. And that's what makes it interesting because that's what makes our real relationships interesting. How good they are, how bad they are, how dysfunctional they are, you know, like, sister love and sister hate, you you love your sister, you hate your sister, you know, all of that stuff, it's complicated, that's what it is, relationships are complicated, and that's what this is, and it's wrapped in a really colourful, entertaining, awesome package, that is the second film. And on top of that, as a cherry on top, you have little baby Groot, and he's fucking adorable. He's really cute, and some of the the best scenes, I mean, like Chris Pratt says in a lot of his interviews, it's like, well, you do all this work, and you do your best work you've ever done, and then you get upstaged by fucking baby Groot, (laughs) you know, because he's fantastic. Um, And just like in the first one, it it never ceases to amaze me how... um, how fleshed out and real those cgi characters are not for a second do i think oh yeah they they weren't on set or they're not real or whatever no they're as real to me as the humanoid characters and it's fantastic i love it really really love it um i hate something that happened at the end um because like i said not everyone not everyone makes it out alive this time uh i hate to see this character go I really wish that character would have stuck around longer because he's really cool okay now i said he i'm sorry <laughs> um no i really loved it but also make sure that you stay throughout the credits i say throughout not just for the first scene there are five post-credit scenes the last one is a bit of a letdown considering it's the last it's the stanley one it was a bit like yeah and i stuck around for that but the other ones Either give you more information as to what's to come or they just give you some character stuff and I really liked it. Um, so overall I think Guardians of the Galaxy is among the best films I've seen so far this year. I put it in my top 10 already um, after I would seen it the first time like I said I didn't put it in my top 10. I, I didn't really enjoy the film that much but after repeat viewing I'm like wow this this is really fucking good this is a good sequel to what came before even though like I said, all the stuff with Peter's dad is a bit lengthy and a bit boring. That's where the film actually is a bit of a letdown. Because I just didn't care about that dynamic. It was, it was too long. I would have cut it down. I would have cut out certain bits there. Um, so overall, I think it's a very entertaining film. If you like Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, you will like this one as well. You might not enjoy it as much as the first one, depending on, you know, what you expect but it's still a really really well done film. It's solid, it's entertaining, the CGI is fantastic, I love the performances, I love the characters and the dialogue. Some of the stuff might feel a bit forced, but it's still a very entertaining package. Like, I would say this was more entertaining than Kong Skull Island and I think Kong and Logan were so far my most entertaining films of the year. I mean Get Out is up there as well, but it's a different type of film, so Guardians and then Kong, I think, is how I would rank it. I really enjoyed it, um, but I enjoyed it more for the characters and the relationships between these characters than the story or the setting or whatever. The story is bullshit. It's, it's literally like Fast and Furious. Forget the story. It's all about the characters. That's, that's what Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 really is about. Alright, now on to Unlocked. Now, this might be a film that you've never heard of before. I didn't really know what it was about until I looked it up and it's. And then I realized this is actually a film that I'd had on my list for quite a while. Um, it's an action thriller starring Numi Rapace and um, is it Rapace or Rapace? I think it's Rapace, Numi Rapace, you know, the original uh, girl with the dragon tattoo, you know, from the Swedish film. Um, she's fantastic, I love her. And uh, the film also stars Michael Douglas, Tony Collette and Orlando Bloom. And it's about Noomi Rapace's character. She is she she is or she was some kind of like a CIA agent. Um, and she works in like the counter-terrorist... Unit. Well, I think all of the CIA is counter-terrorist. Um, something went bad in 2012. A lot of people died, so she's kind of like on the back burner and something happens in this film where it looks like there's going to be a terrorist attack and the only person that works for the cia who can like interrogate a suspect is found dead somewhere and then it's like well it's either numi Rapaz or we need to wait a lot of time until we have flown someone over there or we give it to the brits so she gets called in to interrogate someone and while she does that, if you've seen the trailer it's not really a spoiler, but while she does that, it turns out she was actually brought in by the bad guys, I'm doing air quotes, by the bad guys, so these are not actually the CIA people that she's working with, these are the bad guys. Um, and then she goes on a run with the suspect and then she goes to to someone to ask for help and then that person gets killed and blah so she's basically on the run the entire time while she's trying to figure out who the mole is who the actual bad guy is what the actual fucking plan is what the terrorist attack is she's trying to solve all of this and it's like like you expect from a film like that there's, there's like intrigue layers upon intrigue layers and this person is good oh no is this person bad oh no this person is actually no he's actually good <gasps> he is a bad guy you know all of these things like happen and layers unravel like it's it's a ginormous onion and you're peeling away layer after layer after layer um, I thought it, it I mean it doesn't re- reinvent the, the wheel but it's a really entertaining flick Uh, There's a lot of action in it. Of course, I loved it because there's a female action hero in it. Um, It takes place in London for the most part, which I thought was fantastic because I live in fucking London. And I'm like, why am I not in this film? You could have just like shot me somewhere and I could have been in this film. But um, Numi Rupaus is really good as an action hero. She's, you know, she's very very agile and she's very action-y. You know and she's really good at what she does and i really believed her being like a special agent you know have her play new bond oh, awesome um and uh oh yeah tony Collett's in this she she works basically she represents the british uh the i think it's mi5 mi6 mi5 one of those mi's um it's just impossible um she she represents those and we're not entirely sure is she a good guy, is she a bad guy, is she responsible for Noobie Verpaas having to go on the run. Or is it John Malkovich, who's actually also in the film I just remembered. He is the CIA dude and as you can tell it's like th- we have Numi Rapaz, Michael Douglas, Tony Collette, John Malkovich and Orlando Bloom. All the performances are really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, it takes place in London, which I thought was for, for a Londoner it's like an extra layer of entertainment to go like, oh, this is where that is. Oh, <gasps> this is where this is. I thought it was really cool. Um, it was a good actioner. It was a good thriller. There was a lot of um, action and intrigue. And as I said, layer upon layer upon layer that's folding back. And you can kind of like sit there like doing a Miss Marple and go like, <gasps> Oh no! I bet that he's actually involved with these people, and he's connected to this person, and he's connected. Oh fuck! No, okay, maybe hit You know, you you're trying to solve the puzzle just like Numi Rapaz is trying to do it during the film, and it's really entertaining, and it has. Um, I I think it has a satisfying end. Um, it's it's obviously very cliche as most of these films are, but I was thoroughly entertained, and if you want to see. Uh, A woman being like a CIA agent or being the special agent, the hero agent. Go and see Unlocked. I really enjoyed it. Um, it, Like I said, it doesn't really end the wheel. It's nothing to write home about. But if you're into an action film that is more grounded than a sci-fi film like Guardians of the Galaxy. Or you don't want to watch something like Fast and Furious. But you're after an action film in the here and now. Go and watch Unlocked. Now onto the next action film. This is King Arthur, The Legend of the Sword, I think it is. Um, It's a new Guy Ritchie film. And uh, I I went to see this yesterday. I I love King Arthur, I like medieval films, I love fantasy films, you know. Um, I love The Legend of King Arthur. One of my favorite films that I grew up with as a kid was uh, Excalibur, which is an actual really heavy film considering I watched it when I was 10. but it's really, really good. I love the Arthurian legend, um, everything about like his father, Uther Pendragon, and the sword, and the Lady of the Lake, and just like all of that stuff, right? Um, now, I watched King Arthur, like Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. And other than the names, it basically has nothing in common with anything to do with King Arthur. And I have to admit that while the film is very entertaining, it rubbed me the wrong way. He could have called it anything else, and used exactly the same shit. Like, he just don't call it King Arthur. Call call it something else, and leave the film intact as it is. You can even call the fucker Arthur. Doesn't matter. But just don't call it King Arthur. Don't 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 bring a Percival and a Mordred and a Lady Morgana and a and a Uther Pendragon and and fuck knows what else in there. Just don't ruin fucking King Arthur, all right? what Guy Ritchie was apparently trying to do was do a modernized version of King Arthur so there's like there's 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 a lot of like really hip hipster dialogue in there Um, and Charlie Hunnam he he does a really good job as like this action hero kind of a thing but what, what King Arthur basically is is a superhero version of King Arthur every time Hunnam try like grabs Excalibur with both hands he has some kind of weird superpower shit happening that you go like what the fuck is like you're part of the Avengers now what the fuck is going on it really annoyed the hell out of me and to be fair the film as a standalone like if we forget about the title if we just call it Guy Ritchie's Medieval Film Project this film's really good, it's really entertaining, the dialogue is really funny and, and catchy and to the point and it doesn't take itself seriously. The special effects are kind of good, the action is good, there's a lot of fighting and dying and um thingy from Game of Thrones is in it, um, Peter something, can't, can't think of his name right now. He's in it, and that was really cool. Um, But overall, of course Jude Law is in it. He plays the big antagonist, and there's like a big monster that people are fighting. Oh, and Eric Bana plays Uther Pendragon, who is not in the film for long, unfortunately. And Katie McGrath is in it, but only for like five seconds. Um, Overall, I was disappointed by the film because I expected it to be a King Arthur film. I love King Arthur, my dad loves King Arthur. I grew up with this shit. I've read books, I've seen films. I love King Arthur and the whole legend around it. This film, other than the name, has absolutely fucking zero to do with it. They should just call it something entirely different. This is ridiculous. I know that a lot of people enjoyed the film. And I also know that a lot of people go, what the fuck was this? It didn't open very well in Korea. It didn't open very well, most importantly, in the US. Um, To be honest, as a... As a medieval action film, the film is really good. I enjoyed it. It's very tongue-in-cheek, it's really funny, it's entertaining. When people were saying it's, like, it's supposed to be a really funny film, I was like, wait a minute, this is King Arthur, it's not supposed to be funny. Guy Ritchie made a funny film. It's not King Arthur. Just call it Legend of the Sword. Forget King Arthur, just call it Legend of the Sword by Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's medieval superhero film. And then you'll have a lot of fun. Just don't expect anything to do with King Arthur, because that's just, that's just not what this film is. It's just so shit when it comes to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and, and oh, no, it, it, you, even when you have dialogue that's supposed to be, well, that is funny and the characters are a bit tongue-in-cheek and stuff like that, that's fine, you know, you, you, you're trying to do a modernized version, which is fine, but the one thing that really irked me in the film is that he has like Arthur has this superpower every time he touches the sword with two hands and he, he decimates about 50 people with some weird cgi whirlwind bullshit crap that everyone afterwards like only the good guys are left standing how or why no one knows all the bad guys obviously dressed in black are dead on the floor and and he's just holding this sword and he just looks and goes like all right done it okay cool let's go and everyone's like what the fuck just happened and the viewers go what the fuck just happened because you don't get to see anything there's some some weird cgi misty curtain so you don't see shit and then everyone's just on the floor i would have preferred to actually see some sword fighting action that would have been really cool you get some of that a tiny bit but every time there's a lot of enemies he just he just does the superhero bit you know and then it's like bam done next and that was a bit of a letdown there's not really much of a story either i mean it's it's like uther pendragon dies his brother wants to be king his brother turns to be a king and then he knows there's prophecy that the son of uther pendragon will come back take the sword out of the stone which is actually Uther Pendragon's Dragon's body, which is weird, but um, drag it out of the stone and then he will be king. And then obviously the current king doesn't really want that other guy to be king because he kind of likes being king, so he wants to remain king and then he does things and then a lot of people die and then there's a lot of action and then... It's just really weird. That's basically the story, right? And then you have Arthur who doesn't want to be king because he was brought up in a brothel and he's like a street smart kid and he makes enough money, he doesn't have to worry about shit, even though he basically lives in a brothel and lives off the women that make the money there. So it's like, yay for him. Um, And then he, he is basically being pushed into trying to get the fucking stone, uh, sword out of the stone and he does and then he's like what the fuck I didn't want this to happen I want my old life back and then there's like a lady magician who wants to be Merlin but is Merlin and then um, And everyone, and there's and Hansu as well. And he's trying to, I think he's Bedeveo or something. And he's trying to get Arthur to realize that he's supposed to be king and that he needs to learn to be king. And Arthur's like, I really don't want to be king. And yet all of a sudden he's like, Yeah, let's do this. It's like, I don't, I I didn't really see his motivation switch. Like there was no sense, nothing made sense why he would switch his motivation from no to yay all of a sudden. So from nay to yay, that sounds better. so the film doesn't make a lot of sense, the, the story doesn't make a lot of sense, the characters don't make a lot of sense, or their motivation, even less so. But there's some good action in there. It looks really nice. Charlie Hunnam, he, he's a good-looking chap. Um, and there's a lot of like fantastical shit happening and some CGI as well. But other than that, I, I would actually say give it a miss. Um, I wasn't bored, but I would also not say that, wow, you need to go and see it because it's that entertaining. It's I mean, there were a lot of people that were laughing in the film uh, while we were watching the film is what I meant, not in the film. Um, So I'm not sure there's a lot of people that enjoyed it. For me, I thought it was really lackluster. It could have been something fantastic. because, I mean, it's Guy Ritchie we're talking about. But he was basically trying to make his usual films in a medieval setting. And he succeeded with that. But then just please don't call it King Arthur. Just just do a medieval setting thing. or, or I don't know, do some tongue-in-cheek Assassin's Creed or whatever. But don't call it King Arthur, man. So you, you're doing the entire King Arthur legacy a disservice. That's what I think. I know a lot of people like it. I also know a lot of people don't like the film, so you might just go and have to see it for yourself. I think it's not worthwhile to watch it on the big screen. If there are other films that you much rather watch or that you're just as interested in, I think you should go and see those films. Check out King Arthur when it's on Netflix or something. It's not something you really need to go out and see. So the ones that I think you need to go out and see actually is only Guardians of the Galaxy and The Zookeeper's Wife. Um, unlock, like I said, if you like some, some action, intrigue, espionage, uh, thriller type of thing in the here and now, is really good. If you like something medieval, go and see King Arthur if you want. Um, if you want to see Battle Royale in in an enclosed space, go and see the Balco experiment. And if you like Fast and Furious, you can go and see Fate of the Furious. I think you'll be entertained, I think you'll like it. It's just not as good as 5, 6 or 7. But overall, I think that is it for The Weekly Watch this time around. I'm glad to be back. It makes makes me feel good talking about films. Next week is going to be very, very interesting. I'm really excited for this because Alien Covenant is out. Um, I'm going to see that next week. And like I said, new Jessica Chastain film, Miss Sloan, is out now as well. I've been waiting for this for months and months and months and months. A lot of my mates in the USA have already seen this. I can't wait to see this. And... A little gem, I'm not sure if I can talk about it in the next week's episode because I will be back again weekly, every Friday, as I say, um, I get to review on Sunday the new Pirates of the Caribbean, 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 Pirates of the Caribbean, there we go, the new Pirates of the Caribbean, Zalazar's Revenge, now I'm not that big of a fan of Pirates of the Caribbean, I mean I love the first one, I loved the second one when it came out even though after rewatching it. I'm not sure why I liked it. Um, The third one, meh, and the fourth one, disaster. So now number five, it could be good. It could be horrendous, I'm not sure. But I'll go and see it. Obviously now I have to go and see it because, well, I have to review it. Um, I think it's embargoed, so I might not be able to talk about it for next Friday, but we'll see. So these are the three films I'm going to go and see. Maybe I'll also get around to see *Their Finest* with Gemma Arterton and *The Promise* with Oscar Isaac. These films have been around for I think like a week or two now. I haven't gotten around to it. I know I've been watching *Guardians of the Galaxy* too much, um, but I'll try and see whether I can watch that as well next week. So potentially *Alien Covenant*, *Miss Sloan, *The Promise*, *Their Finest*, and. Zalazar's Revenge. Don't forget that you can email me at weeklywatchcast at gmail.com. That's weeklywatchcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, check out my blog that has all these episodes on it and further information as well. It's at weeklywatch... Sorry, I can't write my read my own writing. It's weeklywatchcast.wordpress.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Melanie with two Fs at the end. Um, I will also link my Twitter on, on the Weekly Watchcast WordPress thingy. I think that makes it easier. So don't forget you can email me. You can find me on Twitter. Let's talk some movies. Not much time for a TV section. Um, I can't even remember what I've been watching. God, move. I've been moving house. Literally, I've, I've been moving house. The last month i only moved in like a week ago it's been a bit of a disaster which is why there was no weekly watch oh also my laptop blew up so everything is a bit like in flux that's what i am in flux so bear with me i'm trying to be back every Friday as I used to be so um, let me know what you think let me know what films you've been watching what TV shows you've been watching American Gods has started a week ago so uh, go and watch that that's a new show with Ricky Whittle and Ian McShane and Gillian Anderson a lot a lot of people Um, go and see that and I'll be back next week I hope you guys have a lovely weekend and I hope you're happy that I'm back you better be and I'll be back next week have a good one bye